Hey, welcome to the podcast, today's Voices of Conservation Science. I'm Chris Guy, your host for today's podcast. On this podcast, we visit with people doing science that's then used to conserve natural resources. Very excited today because my guest is Anna French, and she is a graduate student in the Department of Ecology at Montana State University. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the podcast. And how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Beautiful day out there today. We're recording this on April 20th of 2022. And in Bozeman, Montana, it might be above 50 degrees today. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we got some <laughs> spring weather finally. Yeah. And I know you like to run. Did you go out and get a good run in today in this beautiful weather? Not yet. That's Not that's yet. after this. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll hurry up and get this done so you can get out and uh, get your run in. Sounds so good. Anna, uh, could you give the listeners a little background about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up in Minnesota, um, just outside the Twin Cities. And then I moved out to Bozeman in 2017. And that's when I uh, did my undergraduate degrees here at Montana State. I studied biology, uh, biological sciences and chemistry. And then um, just really fell in love with Bozeman and uh, the Department of Ecology here. And I've continued on for my graduate degree. So let's step back just a little bit and talk about Minnesota. So you grew up in Minnesota. We're at, you said outside the Twin Cities, but we're at outside the Twin Cities? Yeah, so Plymouth, and then I went to Wyzetta High School. Okay, and um, a lot of great fishing around uh, <laughs> around Minnesota. Did you Did you participate in any of that? Yes. <laughs> when I was younger uh, with my dad, I go out fishing because it's a land of 10,000 lakes, so you exactly. have to, right? Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Yep, so everybody fishes. What was your favorite fish to catch? I always wanted to catch a northern pike. That was always my my dream. Get like yeah. a foot long fish or something. Yeah, exactly. um, was never very successful though. So mostly just kind of got some perch and things like that. <laughs> yep, that's awesome. And then you came here and you got a degree in uh, biological sciences and chemistry. And mm -hmm. just curious, what um, got you interested in the in the chemistry portion of that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so the biology was what came first. Um, that was what I originally was um, going to school for and what I've been passionate about since I was little. But um, in taking courses for my biology degree, it included like gen chem and, and organic chemistry. And I really enjoyed the challenge of it, as well as um, just kind of understanding um, more of the biochemistry and kind of the molecular biology side of things. I really kind of appreciated that sort of more bottom-up approach to ecology. I, I think it's really pretty fascinating how these small different components can can interact and influence biological systems at a larger scale. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and and so thinking about this and, and your passion for uh, the outdoors and biological sciences, and and then also connecting it all with this with the chemistry, that had to start somewhere. And so I'm curious, what kind of started all this? What what caused or compelled you to pursue a career in in conservation? Yeah, so I think I've just always been pretty passionate about about understanding. Um, conservation and, and natural systems. I've always had sort of a curiosity being outside and kind of trying to explore and, and understand what's around me. Um, I'm pretty dedicated runner and skier. And so I really enjoy doing those things outside. I enjoy kind of going on trail runs and, and just kind of interacting with, with nature around me. And um, I think another aspect um, is 
this threat of climate change and having an understanding of um, kind of the effects that it's currently having and, and the effects that's projected into the future. Um, as someone who skis, that that's certainly very concerning to me, um, seeing even just living in Bozeman for the past five years and, and the changes in, in snowfall over that time frame, and, and having these really warm temperatures in December. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's an organization called Protect Our Winter, and I think um, exposure to, to groups like that when I was growing up uh, really made me uh, feel passionate about trying to understand um, how different uh, understand the science behind it and, and, and see how the effects it's having so that we can hopefully um, motivate and encourage people to, to try to take action and, and make changes. Mm-hmm. So you touch on this, um, you know, connection with the outdoors through running and skiing and some of the, the fishing that you did as a, as a young child. Was there anybody that was uh, instrumental in getting you interested in conservation? Were there some individuals or an individual that really, you know, just, you said, wow, you took a class or something like that. And you were like, yeah, this has really inspired you to, to get into conservation. Yeah. So, I mean, I think my family's been certainly, um, inspirational and important in, in my development and and appreciation for conservation in the outdoors. Um, and then more on an academic side of things, I've had a number of uh, different mentors who I think have really kind of fostered that love and appreciation of, of, nature and, and, and the scientific approach to, to conservation, um, specifically, uh, Bill McLaughlin, um, he's a chem professor here at Montana state, and he actually has kind of a similar story to me. Um, he started out in biology and then he actually switched into chemistry and that's what he does, but, um, originated with, with biology. And, and in his course, he really tried to incorporate a lot of, um, environmental components and, and, um, talked a lot about like native plants, um, in Montana and, and, and use that in the course is analytical chemistry. So it was really quite applicable. Um, and he's awesome. He's been a great mentor for me as, you know, I've been entering into graduate school and, and starting my career here. And then also Dr. Chris Chambers, I did an internship with him, um, through NOAA, um, he kind of was one of the first mentors along with, uh, Dr. Ryan Thume, who I did undergraduate research with here at Montana state. Um, they both are kind of more on the aquatic side. Um, and that's kind of what helped me, uh, decide my path in conservation, which has been more on right now focused on freshwater ecology, but, um, Dr. Chris Chambers looks at Atlantic silver side fish, uh, but it's kind of had that sort of, um, theme that, that I've kind of developed through these different mentors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just reflecting on, you know, you grew up in Minnesota and then you've, you've moved to Bozeman and you got your undergraduate degree here and, you know, what a great place to live, right? You can run and you ski and you, you've got this, what I like to call the golden ticket, right? You're in graduate school here in a wonderful place. And we know that comes with challenges there are challenges in getting to this we all have challenges throughout our throughout our careers and i'm just curious if you had any challenges or hurdles that you're willing to um talk about that you had to overcome to get to where you are today on this podcast yeah definitely so um this is actually my second go around in graduate school um i did start a graduate program and then now this is my second time coming back. Um, and I think I, I struggled with my first 
go around and um, had some challenges there. And I think it was recognizing that um, wasn't quite the right fit for me, wasn't really what I want to be doing and just kind of um, was struggling and, and, and recognized that um, I needed to change some things and the situation wasn't working for me. So I think being able to come back and now um, see myself um, being successful and, and doing quality research that I'm proud of and um, being a part of a lab group that um, I enjoy collaborating with and, and really um, feel like I'm making meaningful contributions in conservation science has been a really positive thing. So I guess if I had a message for the audience, it would just be that, um, yeah, even if it doesn't work out the first time, I'd, I'd say stick with it. You know, if you're passionate about it, follow that path. And um, yeah, if it's if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Um, but then mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, stick with it and don't give up because it is worth it once once you find your groove and kind of realize um, what that path might look like for you. And I think that's a great, great message because, you know, you think about, um, you know, coming out of undergraduate and, and you, a lot of people don't know how to really navigate graduate school. I mean, there are advisors that'll help you, but sometimes you feel like you're navigating it alone and maybe you get into a program and it just doesn't feel right. And I think a lot of people feel like they got to stay in that program till the very end. And they may be overly stressed because it's just not a good fit. And you're a, you're an awesome example of you can hit the reset button and you're going to be very successful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I think people in general are most successful when they're happiest. Like mm -hmm. I think you do your best science, you do your best work when you feel like just from the foundation up, like, like your mental health, your physical health, once that's all taken care of and, and you feel like you're kind of on top of things, that's when the research really comes together. And when you can be uh, most successful, I think as, as a graduate student. Um, so yeah, I think for anyone who's like kind of struggling, I would recommend really trying to address those sorts of aspects. Cause I think it really does. It does make a difference in, in, in your ability to perform as a scientist. Yeah. Very well said. I mean, that's, that's, that's that's excellent. You're listening to today's Voices of Conservation Science, and I'm here with Anna French, and she is a graduate student in the Department of Ecology. So, Anna, this is the point where we switch gears and we talk about your research. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you're working on? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so my research is primarily focused on ecosystem engineers. I work in the lab of Dr. Lindsay Albertson. So there's a number of us here in the lab looking at ecosystem engineers. And um, so kind of to give a little bit of a background. So ecosystem engineers are species that significantly modify their physical habitat, often for their own benefit. And so what would be a good example that folks could most folks would know and, and see out on the landscape and they're like, Oh, I listen to this podcast. Now I know that's an ecosystem engineer. What would that be? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the classic example would be the beaver and that's kind of nice because it's a freshwater example, which is um, where my research is focused. And um, so beavers create their dams, um, these beaver dams, and they move a lot of wood and they can uh, affect hydrology and stream flow. Um, through their damming. And um, it's for those reasons that they're considered ecosystem engineers and, and the effects that they have on, on just the entire habitat and then those cascading effects of on, on different populations. And so the two species you're working on are ecosystem engineers and 
in what way are they ecosystem engineers? Yeah, so the signal crayfish is an ecosystem engineer because it um, burrows in the sediment. And so it creates these tunnels and these burrows and the stream banks and um, can really affect stream flow as well as um, like if, they're, if there's extensive burrowing can even lead to like a bank collapse. And then just their um, movement across the sediment, they can really stir up um, sediment and, and, and make the water a lot more turbid. Um, so those are kind of the primary ways in which they act as ecosystem engineers. And then the other organism that I've worked with is the caddis fly. And they can spin these nets, which um, stabilizes uh, different rocks and, and, and affects stream flow as well. And, and they catch food within their, their nets. So that's another example of, of a species that's modifying their environment. And so you're working on, we'll focus on signal crayfish for right now, but, and, and, what what are the key aspects of the signal crayfish that you're really interested in? Yeah, so I've really been primarily focused on the burrowing component. Um, I've designed a mesocosm study, so a study that um, we're taking place in the lab. It has field components because we're um, using stream water and, and using crayfish collected from the stream to, to, to run this experiment. And um, essentially what I'm looking at is trying to understand how their burrowing can affect um, rates of nutrient cycling and, and affect turbidity and things like that. Um, I'm specifically looking at the link between the signal crayfish and the, their behaviors and the microbial communities within the uh, stream bank sediment um, and seeing how that might influence nutrient cycling. Um, and are signal crayfish native to Montana? Yeah, so they're native to the western part of the state, um, but they are experiencing a range expansion. So we need a little bit more of an understanding to like say for sure if they're invading other areas. Um, but I think there is that sort of threat that they can be considered invasive in, in areas where they haven't previously been established, but we're now seeing um, them experience really rapid growth in populations. And so I'm thinking about, you know, if it is moving um, to, to new places in Montana that maybe them being ecosystem engineers or in, in you're studying that and how much they affect the ecosystem, it could have negative consequences, right? And outside their native range. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, a big concern is the fact that they have these behaviors and they've been documented to um, cause these pretty significant changes in the areas that, that they become established in. And so if you see them spreading, it's going to, um, the fact that they have these ecosystem engineering behaviors means that the effects of their invasion can be even more pronounced. Mm -hmm. And you said you've been doing some mesocosm experiments and can, you know, mesocosm is not the everyday word. So what do you mean by a mesocosm experiment? Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so meso meaning kind of like in the middle, um, but yeah, it's kind of between a lab study um, and a field experiment. So um, yeah, I, I have these different um, chambers that I keep the crayfish in and then um, allow them to do their burrowing and, and then kind of measure the effects of that. So you have to put mud in these chambers? Are you putting in mud and muck from the stream and then you put a crayfish in there and see what it does? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I also use bentonite clay to kind of help form that that bank that I that I make. Um, but yep, I use the the natural stream bed um, sediment as well because that's how 
uh, the bank that I'm constructing gets inoculated with the microbes. Okay. So you, so I'm just trying to figure this out. So you have this tank or this <laughs> container and you're putting mud in it and you're creating a stream bank. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then you put the crayfish in there and see what it does. Yep. Wait for it to burrow. Um, they typically burrow overnight. So, um, oh, so leave them for a night. So you have to watch them all night. Uh, <laughs> I take samples throughout the night, um, okay. but try to kind of like leave them be so that they behave as normally and naturally as they can. Yeah. So, so thinking about observations through the night, you'll watch them at like midnight and then two in the morning and then four in the morning or something like that. Is that what you do? Yep. Um, I, would try to do um, sampling every five hours and um, get uh, different water samples, different turbidity samples, different sediment samples, um, so I can see how with the increase in burrowing overnight, there's changes in um, the different nutrient concentrations and distribution of nutrients throughout the system. That's really cool. So you're measuring these different conditions throughout the night are you looking at the behavior of the crayfish too or is this all pretty much met measuring variables that you know like water quality you know nutrients those kinds of things or do you measure do you see what the crayfish is doing yeah i primarily just look at the crayfish behavior at the end of the night um so as to not disturb them um but the other variables i do look at throughout the night yeah so when I was in high school, I had a, an aquarium, right? And and um, I would go out and collect crayfish and put them in the aquarium. And they would always climb out of my aquarium. <laughs> and my mom would find them like in the closet or under the bed. How did you keep the crayfish in? Do you have a lid on the top? or? <laughs> yes, it's, it's a challenge. <laughs> That's the thing with doing science is there's always unexpected um, puzzles that you have to figure out to get to the answer that you're trying to find. Um, but yeah, so I'll use these, um, different metal wire. Um, I don't know what, what they are exactly, but, um, kind of just like wire yeah, mesh or something yeah, that you wire put over mesh, the top? Okay. essentially. Yeah. Um, so I'll put that over the top with a rock on because they can move things like they're, they're, they're pretty crafty. Yeah, surprisingly they're pretty so. amazing. They're fun to have in an aquarium and watch yeah. and doing their thing. I have had some escape. I, I did find one, one got out one time and I found it in the middle of the floor the next morning. And that was, that was a bummer. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're tricky. You have to really be kind of trying to outsmart them sometimes. You do. And I was constantly trying to figure out, well, the problem is I had air stones in the tank, right. And they'd have mm -hmm. to have a tube come in and they would climb up that little tube, tube. and wiggle yep. their way up through the, the top of the aquarium. And it's pretty funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I really like crayfish and, and, um, it's a, it's an awesome study. Do you have to worry about, um, the size of the crayfish or the sex of the crayfish when you're doing this study? Are you trying to account for that? Because I'm thinking about maybe different size crayfish might burrow differently. Yeah. And I do find that bigger crayfish construct bigger burrows, um, typically. Um, and that is something that I've recorded and that I'm, I'm monitoring, but since I'm primarily looking at the size of the burrow and that linked the effects, 
Um, I think that's primarily where, where my research outcomes are, are, are looking, but then I think it's interesting to then take the information of like, well, this size crayfish makes this size burrow. So you can kind of extrapolate from there. If you look at say a natural stream environment that has a similar sediment profile, um, what those effects might look like for, for different distributions of, of sizes of crayfish. So if you know, for example, one stream has crayfish that are an average, you know, whatever size compared to like a different stream, how might that differ for um, these effects that I'm measuring? Yeah. Um, and so thinking about kind of the end of your research, if you could, you got this crystal ball, what's the most important thing that you could discover about crayfish or the signal crayfish? Yeah. So I think that the most important thing is just understanding this link. Um, there's really not a whole lot of knowledge out there about um, ecosystem engineers and microbial communities and how they might be interacting. Um, so this is really one of the first kind of looks at that and, and trying to understand this really important dynamic and, and, and the effects might be really significant in terms of like, if you scale it up to a, a you know, full stream scale. Um, yeah. We're, we're talking about things that, you know, these, these small little critters, but and, and microbes. Um, but when you kind of scale that and look at the whole stream, there's pretty significant effects on just this whole stream metabolism and nutrient cycling. And we talked a lot, of, we were talking a lot about the single crayfish, but these microbes, how do you measure the microbes? So I'm more, more just in focused on measuring their effects. Um, with the caddisfly research, um, I've been kind of a collaborator on some of that. We're looking more at the communities and specifically identifying and, and doing more of a um, molecular biology approach to that and, and actually sequencing things and, and, and things like that. Um, but in the crayfish work, I'm actually most, mostly just interested in the denitrification um, rates and, and that denitrification is caused by microbes. So I'm really looking at their effects more so than just understanding what microbes are there and, and, and what's doing it. It's mostly just what are the effects of the microbes. And so do you have more field work coming up or are you wrapping up? Yep. So I'll have, um, potentially more field work regarding the crayfish project coming up. And then, um, certainly for the caddisfly project, we have, a project that we're developing currently that will take place in um, Cherry Creek in August and September is kind of we're going to have um, some different buckets that we're going to keep out in in the stream for a longer period of time and, and, and understand how caddis flies once they put their nets down how that's going to affect stream hydrology. Very cool. Um, so now we're down to the softball question, if you will. And um, we like to ask uh, folks what their favorite animal, plant, or both is. Hmm. Well, I think my favorite animal is a wolf. Um, I, I think they've, they've just always seemed cool to me, and, and yeah. I'm a big dog person, so I guess that fits. Um, and then my favorite plant, I think, has to be the Indian paintbrush flower. Oh, it's always good. kind of fun going out in yeah. Bozeman and, and looking at them, the different colors and stuff in the mountains. It's it's quite pretty. Yeah, that's a good good pick because they do they they do show up in different shades of like the red and pink and mm -hmm. yeah, I like photographing Indian paintbrush. That's cool. Anna, thanks for visiting today and sharing your life experiences and research on crayfish and caddisflies as ecosystem engineers. I wish you the best in your studies at Montana State University. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the podcast. We would like to hear from you and please share a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. 
You can also provide a comment at todaysvoices@montana.edu. Thanks for listening to Today's Voices of Conservation Science, and please spread the word about this podcast.